Gang, that's pretty good singing. Amen. Good. Yeah, thank you. I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about everybody else. I heard you. You're like me. We, uh, we start off slow and taper right off, you know. Amen. Gang, I'm glad, uh, glad you're here today. Good crowd, and I appreciate you coming. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible, and I want you to go back with me to Hebrews chapter 12. One last time, we've been in a series, guess, if you're uh, first time or haven't been here in a while, we've been in about a six or seven week series that I call Faith Living, and uh, last week we tackled a few verses in chapter 12. Today I'm going to finish those verses up. Uh, we've uh, seen some great people. If you were with us, don't you know, we uh, saw some wonderful guys, did we not, in chapter 11? that in the midst of their challenges, in the midst of their hard times, they always stayed with it. They followed after God in very difficult situations. The question is, what do you do then when you're faced with challenges? That's what we've been attempting to kind of conquer, uh, looking at scriptures, talking a little bit. What do you do when the world tightens in on you, which it does, right? How many of you don't have any problems? Good, I'm preaching to the choir, okay? Uh, what do you do when the challenges come? What do you do when the world tightens up and the pressure hits and you're trying to navigate through some of the challenges, some of the currents that are going against you? Well, last week we began to talk a little bit about some of the difficult challenges. Uh, first thing you do in chapter 12, the writer told us, is to look at people in the past, people who faced it themselves and made it. I don't know about you, but uh, not just out of Scripture, those scriptural passages are wonderful, or amen, but I think about people in my past. I think about those who, through the years, stayed faithful in the midst of their challenges. I happen to think this week as I studied, I thought about Frances Young. Some in this group may not know her, but I'll just tell you who she is. She's the one always standing outside the doors with a big smile on her face, welcoming people to church, never missing her spot, never missing her duty, always serving. And I guarantee you, Lisa's right. You go to the hospital, it isn't going to be about her. It's going to be about her church. It's going to be about her Lord. She asks about you. She asks about other people in the hospital. Those kind of people are the people you look at when you go through tough times. People of the past who were faithful and still are. Tommy Young came to church today, wife in a hospital, trying to recover from a stroke. That's the kind of people you look at. And then the writer told us we're to do some things. We're to lay aside distractions, burdens that weigh us down. We all have them. I know you got them. I got them. You're not going to know mine. If you want, me to tell you, you're, you want to tell me yours, that's fine. You ain't going to know all of mine. But we got them. Doesn't mean they're sinful. Could be. But we got them. And he says, cast them aside. Lay them down. He tells us also to, to lay aside the doubting of faith, weak faith. The faith that, that entangles us. That is sinful. The other may not be. But this is. And I share with you, I, tried, I always feel when I'm too open, I feel very uncomfortable. And 
I leave church thinking, golly, Tom, you told them all your story they didn't need to hear, you know. Uh, but the fact is, we all struggle sometimes, do we not, with weak faith, huh? We, we doubt God. And so he says, cast that aside. And then he told us, and we talked a little bit last week, about running the race. Run with endurance, he says. The race that God has that is scripted out before us. He tells us that the race is going to have some agony. Have you ever had any agony in your race? Sure you have. Tells us the race is going to have some pressure. Have you had some pressure? Yeah. But he tells us to run it nonetheless. He expects us to because he's given us power to, you see. Well, as we conclude today, our text, chapter, uh, chapter 12, really more verse 2, and then I'm going to add verse 3, he's going to tell us two things. Number one, he's going to tell us how to run God's race. Really not your race. It's his race that he scripted, right? So he's going to tell us, first of all, how we're to do that. And gang, it's not really complicated. It's pretty simple, except it gets complicated when we try to make it happen, okay? And so we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to conclude on why we should run God's race, okay? So you have your Bibles open, I hope, Hebrews 12. Let me just kind of tell you, uh, verse 1 and verse 2 is really one sentence, okay? The heart of it is a verbal command, an imperative, that we are to run or agonize the race. That's the whole heart of what the writer's trying to get. You talk about all those great guys in the past. For what reason? That we would run it the way God's intended it to be. I'll add in verse 3. Verse 3 is kind of, in a sense, it's a conclusion to the idea. It's also an introduction at what comes next, but it kind of fits with where I'm going, okay? Let's stand in honor of God's Word. and Hebrews chapter 12, let's begin in verse 1. We'll kind of read that whole passage, okay? Therefore, which kind of ties it to the guys and gals in chapter 11, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, remember last week, they're not watching us, we're watching them. Let us also... Lay aside every encumbrance, and let us lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, here's our text. How do we do that? Well, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and then he tells us about Jesus. We'll deal with that just a little bit. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, and, and here's this Jesus we're to fix our eyes on. The author, perfecter, or completer of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he adds, consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, Here's why. So that. Anytime you see the word that or so that in Scripture, it's always purpose or result here. It's purpose for this purpose that you and I will not grow weary. We will not 
lose hearts. A lot of weary Christians today. A lot of Christians whose heart is breaking. And he helps us get beyond that. Let's pray. Would you pray for the person right beside you? You may not even know who they are. Uh, person on your right. Say a prayer like, God, today, while the Bible is preached, would you bless the person on my right that they may hear the voice, not of a preacher, but the voice of the Holy Spirit. Then would you pray for the person on your left? God, today, may they hear the voice of the Spirit of God as he speaks. Then would you pray for yourself? God, help me to hear. Clean my ears. Prepare my heart. Make me understand what I'm supposed to understand so that I might apply the truth of Scripture to my life. Father, help me. This is so critically important, Father. And I don't, I, I, I just, I want to do it right. I want to stay within the context. I want to bring the affirmations that the Scriptures give us because, God, we need this. But I can't without your Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. 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 Give us understanding. Give us anointing of the mouth, anointing of the ears. But God, give us anointing of the heart to understand the truth of God's Word, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, gang, be seated. Keep your Bible open. Look with me in verse 2. He, he tells us how to do it. Okay, He told us what to do. Now he's going to tell us how to do it. And notice he says, fix your eyes. The object is Jesus. I'm going to deal with that. Fix your eyes on Christ. Now in the original, the word fix your eyes is a very strong word. It's a word which means that you have to look away from something and you have to lock your eyes on something, okay? It's actually a compound word. It's a word off, which means to turn away from, and then to stare, to stare at someone or something. Now, for us ADHD guys, that's a little challenging, okay? But it's a word for focus or perhaps maybe better it's a word for concentration. It's a word which means that you got to say, I'm not looking there, but not only am I looking here, I'm locking on here. And I'm not going to take my eyes off of here. This morning when I, uh, when I came to church, I, uh, of course, I get here kind of early, and I try to memorize a little bit. I don't have the greatest of memory, so I try to read over and over and over and over. And, and I'm taking a little vacation beginning tomorrow. And so I looked at my desk. I had a little few moments. My desk was just cluttered all up. And I thought, you know, it would probably be good before I leave to clean up my desk. And so I rearranged the clutter. I got clean clutter. Uh, but in the course of doing that, I, I have a glass o over my desk, and I stick things underneath it. And through the years, people have given me their cards or people give me a, a little saying here or a little saying there. 
And so when I cleaned off everything, all of a sudden there was a card right in front of me that one of our ladies had, had given to me. And I looked at it, and it was Psalm 16, 8. I said, oh, that's so cool. That kind of is an Old Testament verse to what I'm sharing today from the New Testament. So I want you to turn for just a moment. Make it quick. Turn to Psalm 16, okay? Psalm 16, 8. I'm going to read 9 as well. But I want you to see how the psalmist kind of talks about what the writer of Hebrews, in a sense, is talking about. Are you there? Psalm 16, verse 8. Here's what David said. I have set the Lord continually before me. That word set is the idea of focus, of locking in. Okay, I have set the Lord continually before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. You get the picture? I've got to set Him right in front because when I'm looking... He's the only one I'm seeing. Therefore, because He's the only one I'm seeing, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. Now back to Hebrews. That's the same idea. It's the idea of looking. It's the idea of staring. Staring so intently, so locked in on Christ, that you don't allow yourself to look at, even glance at, anything else. Now, gang, help me out. Do you see how important this is? Do you? You see, if I stared at, if I kept looking at circumstances, I'd have a difficult time. There's things going on. I mentioned that I think this last week. There's some things going on in this world I don't understand, you know. It's like it's almost swirling around me. And if we locked in on that, if that's what we stared at, we'd have a hard time. I can't deal with it. I, don't, I can't explain it. I sure can't deal with it. They can't deal with it. How can I deal with it, right? See? So I can't let circumstance overwhelm me. I can't look at people, okay? Man, if I look at people, I, I, can't, I can't control you guys. You can't control, you've been trying to control me, right? But I can't control you. I can encourage you. I can chat. I think that's what Scripture's supposed I think that's what preachers are supposed to be. We're not supposed to be up here and powder your rear ends on Sunday. We're to challenge you, aren't you? We're to send you out with your toes burning a little bit. You know, to challenge you. But I I can't make you do squat. I can't make you run a race. I can challenge you to run the race. And so if I'm focused on people, I'm going to have problems. I have some issues. If you're focused on your pastor, I'm telling you, you're in a heap of trouble, folks. If we're focused on Don, I'm telling you, we're in a heap of trouble, folks. You know, we can't look at people, see? So I have to look to someone else. If I looked at philosophies, I'd have trouble because most of the stuff that's in this world today is an anti-Bible philosophy. You, you agree with that? So the writer's saying, focus on Christ because if I'm not, I'm frustrated or I'm at least confused. 
So I've got to keep locked on Jesus. That's my only hope. How many of you guys, I know you're a younger generation than the other generation that was here a little bit earlier, but how many of you guys have ever heard of Ted Williams? Well, that's not bad. How many of you have never heard of Ted Williams? That's sick. Well, let me tell you about Ted Williams, okay? Ted Williams was arguably the best baseball hitter in all of baseball. He's the last guy that batted over, I wish he was my uncle. He's the last guy that batted old kids over 400, okay? And it's said about him that he had such an ability to concentrate, to focus in, that he was so focused in the batter's box that he didn't hear any cheering. In fact, the story is told, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But the story is told that he would get in the batter's box and he was so focused on the pitch that they threw out a firecracker. And when it exploded, he didn't even hear it because he was focused in on what he was doing. Incredible concentration. My brother and I were talking. I've kind of been getting into a little fly fishing lately. I really enjoy it. And I was talking to my brother about it just the other day. And my brother, Roger, told me, he said, hey, do you remember when Dad went to a fly fishing school? And I said, no, I don't remember that. He said, well, Ted Williams was the one that put it on. And he said, I remember Dad saying, that he was such a, uh, an unusual guy, had such an unusual ability to, to focus, that he took a guy and made him stand out a pretty good ways from him and put a cigarette in his mouth and began to take a fly and began to whip the fly line. And he would take the fly and he would land it on the cigarette time after time again. They said that Ted Williams had an unusual ability to stay focused on what he was to stay focused on. Gang, that's the intent here, I think. That you and I can't stay focused on the the circumstances of the world. We can't get our head around that, can we? We can't stay focused on people because people let you down. People hurt your heart. You know why? Because you've hurt their hearts, you see. We can't be focused on this, this winds of doctrinal gobbledygook that's out there. That's the only word that came to my mind. Okay, It just doesn't make sense. So we have to be focused on Christ. And how do you get focused on Christ? Somebody say the Bible. Right. Good. You did right. The Bible. See? That's how it happens. The Word of God gives us the Son of God, and we stay focused on Him. Now, what does that require from us? Well, let me give you a couple things I wrote down. First of all, discipline. I have to force myself to concentrate on Him and nothing else, you see. Life for a Christian is a life of discipline. You can't, Ted Williams couldn't play ball if he wasn't disciplined. Ball athletes got to be disciplined in what they do. Some of you are raising I know you're thinking the next major leaguer. It ain't going to happen, but that's okay. Think it anyway. But what you do is you teach them disciplines. The life of a Christian is discipline because we have so many contrary winds blowing. We have to be disciplined in our walk with, in our life with God. But not just discipline. I jotted down devotion. I have to believe that Jesus can handle anything and everything. huh? 
I have to believe that He alone is worthy. And He's worth my trust. He's worth my allegiance. In the book of Colossians, we read that in all things He is... By the way, it's the only time this word preeminence is used in Scripture. In all things, He is to have the preeminence. In all things, Christ is to be first, to have first place. You see, gang, let me tell you what I've learned over these many years of agony-pressured life. What I've learned is this, that when I stay locked in on Christ, I do okay. But the moment I take my eyes off Christ, what happens? Well, what happened to Peter? Wes, where are you? You preached it. Wes did that, you know, for our preteens in VBC. Peter started out good. I mean, the dude got out of the boat. Have you ever been out of a boat like that? No, Peter did. The Lord bid him come, and he came, and he got on the water, started walking. He was doing real good to what? I didn't hear a thing. He took his eyes off Jesus, right? And when he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened? He began to sink. So what I'm trying to tell you is this afternoon when you go home, lock in on Jesus, go out to the next pond, start walking. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you better be locked on Christ because if you're not locked on Christ, you're going to be surrounded by all this junk that's going around. Let me give you another silly illustration. Years ago, I, um, I shifted from shooting a compound bow to a traditional bow, a long bow. When I was shooting a compound, I grew up, became a real hunter. But you don't understand that. Anyway, compound bows, they have sights, or they call pins. And when, I, when the guy helped me learn that, he, he set me up a pin, and I had a 10-yard pin and a 15-yard pin, 20-yard pin. And when I'd go to shoot my target, I'd just look at the pin. You follow me? But when I went to a traditional, there are no pins. There's no sights. So I asked the guy, I said, well, how do you, you know, how do you do this? He said, well, you have to stare at your target, and the staring at the target helps the brain adjust. It's like throwing a ball to the first baseman. The more you do it, the more your brain adjusts to where the first baseman is. And here's what he, here's what he told me. He said, the thing you've got to remember about traditional bow shooting is that you've got to pick the spot. And you, ever, you can't let your eyes get off the spot. I've noticed that many times when I'm out hunting, when I miss, and I'm good at it, the reason is, is that in the course of drawing back and anchoring and releasing and all that stuff that goes into bow shooting, I lose the spot. you got to pick the spot and focus on the spot and not take your eyes off the spot. Does that make sense? I want to tell you, that's what the writer here is talking about. And I'm here to tell you, church, that the moment you take your eyes off Christ, the moment you let your eyes wander, like Peter who began to sink, like Tom who misses more than he hits, we begin to have problems. That's why out of all of chapter 11, and now in chapter 12, he says, run the race with endurance, and here's how you do it. Keep your eyes on Christ. 
And when you guys leave here today and go about your life and all the pressures of the week begin hitting you, I want to remind you, your preacher said, keep your eyes on Jesus. And if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus, then you can navigate the week. Okay? All right. Let me add just a little bit. Okay? Look at verse 3. And like I said, in a sense, it, it kind of summarizes up the first two verses. In another sense, it kind of introduces what comes next. But we'll deal with it here. He says, for consider him. Okay? The word consider is an interesting word. It means to get your head around, uh, to, to set your mind on Christ. Now, let me tell you what I think, gang. I think that Christianity is logical. I think that Christianity is reasonable. You see, when you explore the claims of Christ, when you study the Word of God and you look at the world and you begin to be honest with yourself and look inside of your life and you know something's wrong with you, it makes Christianity make sense. When you begin to study about the depravity of man, when you begin to study about the sovereignty of God, Jesus makes sense. You see, when you begin to explore yourself, you know what you come to the conclusion of? Well, let me just tell you, you're dysfunctional. I mean, I'm dysfunctional. Some of you are worse than me, and I'm pretty bad, all right? Well, the fact is, man, we're dysfunctional, are we not? I don't know if anybody's got their act together. Billy Graham doesn't have his act together. I hate my, I don't know him. Nobody here does. We're all dysfunctional. Somehow, down in the depths of our heart, young people, we know there's something flawed, don't we? We know there's something not... Why do I think the things I think? Why do I say the things I say? Why do I treat the ones I love badly? Why do I respond wrongly? Why do I argue defensively? Why am I so insecure? All those... Something is fatally flawed with Tom. And so I come to the conclusion, Tom needs help here. And I have friends. Russell can't help me. You know, Don can't help me. Stu can't help me. Stu's beyond help. Who can help me? Paul said in Romans, man, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. Who can help me? Who helps us? Yeah, it's Jesus. Boing. Jesus, you see. And so when you begin to study the plight of humanity, you begin to say, I need help. When you begin to study the sovereignty of God, you know it is God that superimposes himself, injects himself into my life. Therefore, if I stay with Him, I can make it. Now, I want you to notice, look in your Bibles, notice how He describes Jesus. Uh, verse 2, let's go back to verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, notice, author, perfecter of faith, who for the joy sent before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against 
himself. What does he tell us about Christ? Well, he first of all tells us that Christ is our source, doesn't he? That he is the author and the completer, the perfecter of our faith. You see, only he can be trusted in this world of chaos. He tells us that Christ is our sacrifice. He endured the cross, he says. That word endure is the same word, built close to the same word, that we are to run with endurance, the race. Okay? So he's our sacrifice. If he endured what he endured because of our sin, then we should be able to endure what we are to endure because of our sin. And it was such a perfect sacrifice, people, that when he was through, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was a complete, sufficient sacrifice. That's our Savior. That's that one we're to stay locked in on. That's the one we're to look at, regardless of any kind of wind that may be blowing. It also tells us that Christ is our saddest, not just our source sacrifice, but our satisfaction. Amazing. For the joy set before Him. Do you struggle with that? Dude and do debts? I do. The joy? The cross, the joy set before him? How can he think of it as joy? Well, I think perhaps because he went to the cross knowing he had followed the will of the Father completely. huh? And he went to the cross following the will of the Father completely for sinners such as you and I that he loved. Oh, I tell you, he loved us to the end. He loves us still. So we are to fix our eyes. We're to consider Him. That's what the Scriptures say. Let me summarize this up with a little charge to you, okay? If we're going to fix our eyes, and if we're going to consider Him, then I'm going to tell you that our lives must be Christocentric, Christ-centered. We live in an egocentric world, don't we? Look what's happened to us right? Christians, I want to tell you, the church, the church, Indian Springs, my love, my church, must get back to a Christ-centered existence. We're so ego-centered. We're so I-centered. And as long as we stay I-centered, the agony is going to be tough. The sense of victory will not be there. But when we become Christocentric, when we become Christ-centric in our lives and the life of our faith family, then we can navigate in victory. I have a statement for you that I wrote down. We cannot regulate spiritual morality when our heart is far from Christ. Now listen to me, dear people. You can't regulate spiritual morality in your life. You can't do it if your heart is far from Christ. If, he, if you're not fixed upon Him, if you're not considering Him, then you can't expect to have victory in your life. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's a spiritual impossibility. When you become close to Christ, you can handle anything that comes. Okay? Well, one last thing. Why? Look at the end of verse 3. Why? 
Well, so that, we talked about that word, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The only cure for a weary heart is Christ. If we don't stay focused on Christ, the idea here is that we'll grow faint, we'll become sick, okay? The metaphor that he uses throughout this whole chapter 11 and 12 is the, is the metaphor of a long-distance runner, uh, not a sprint, but someone who stays with it for the long haul, a marathon. And so if a, if a runner is to finish, then he must have stamina or he'll grow weary and he'll become sick. A lot of weary churches, a lot of sick churches today, a lot of unhealthy churches because they've gotten wrapped up in everything except the one thing and the real thing is Christ. And the moment we begin getting involved in that which is not Christ, then a little bit of a virus begins. A little bit of an infection begins. And a little bit of a sickness begins. And it begins to grow and begins to grow. And pretty soon, where we once were healthy and vibrant, now we're sick and we're ineffective. In 490 B.C., the Greek Athenians were fighting King Darius, of per- King Darius I of Persia. In the course of the battle, the Greeks won the battle, and at the end of the battle, one of the soldiers ran from the village all the way to Athens to announce the victory. He ran all the way and got to Athens. He proclaimed the victory, and then he fell dead. The place of the battle was a little village in Greece called Marathon. The distance was 26 miles. That's one reason we call it a marathon, and that's one reason it's 26 miles. First thing it tells us is don't run a marathon. It could be dangerous. You could die. Go eat a banana split. It's a whole lot better, okay? (laughs) The other thing it kind of tells us is this. The guy ran for a noble cause, but he died. See, you and I are in a far more noble cause. It's a cause of eternity. And I just want to tell you, church, we must stay focused on Christ. We must stay focused on Christ. And I hope this morning you can say, I'm focused on Christ. I hope you can. I hope when you walk out and you go to your house and have whatever you have on Sunday, I hope, maybe in your chair, I hope you can say, man, I'm focused on Christ. However, this morning, if you can't say that, then can I posture another question to you? What, is it, what do you need to do? I mean, if you were to say, well, you know, I, Tom, I, I, don't, I can't say I'm focused on him. My question to you then is, what do you need to do to be focused on Christ? Are you allowing that encumbering burden of distraction 
keep you from running the race? Are you sinning with weak faith or being involved in things you shouldn't be involved in? Are you handling young people, your bodies, the way God intends you to handle your body, staying pure for that special someone that he's going to bring into your life that day? Huh? See? If you're not, I'm telling you, you're sick. You may not look sick, but I'm telling you, your heart's sick. See? Hey, adults, talking to the kids, what about you and your morality? Huh? Where are you? See? If you're not, you're sick. Maybe it's in the handling of your finances. Maybe it's in the development of a relationship between your spouse. I, I don't know. All I'm telling you is this. If you can't say that you're locked on Christ, then you need to figure out what it is, and you need to decide what you got to do about it, and then do it. Do it. Do it, because when you do it, you find power and energy and strength and peace and joy that you can't even imagine. You see, when I walk and my eyes are fixed on Christ, I love pastoring. I love preaching. I love you guys. When I'm not focused on Christ, pastoring becomes a labor to me. Studying the Bible becomes burdensome to me. Preaching becomes scary to me. And I don't love you the way I'm supposed to love you. If that continues, I'm in a heap of trouble, boy. Right? You see, when you're locked in, it just works, doesn't it? It just works. So what do you need to do to lock into Christ? Huh? Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. Praise you for your word.